Blog Talk Radio. the Mind Whisperer for Thursday, March 7th, 2013. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. You and I Today on the program, we are looking at the aspect of flow in our lives, the power of presence, connection, and letting go. So this is a very provocative topic, and there's been um, some great research done in this area in the um, psychological uh, research field and, and literature, particularly um, Mikhail Chmihaly, who uh, wrote a book called Flow and did a lot of research into um, the area of what flow means. And we'll get into that a little bit. But we, as always, are concerned with the spiritual psychology of um, our daily life and how we um, can bring this back down to a very nuts and bolts, kind of pragmatic, practical way for everyday living. And, you know, try and bring in the scientific literature and, and uh, some sound empirical research to always, um, you know, consolidate the, the point of view. Um, for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, this is the Mind Whisperer program. It's a pleasure to have you here. Please do feel free to call in at any time and uh, join the program uh, by calling in at uh, area code 347-945-7891. That's 347-945-7891. Um, at some point, I do hope to get a toll-free number uh, connected, and uh, then we can get you to call in. But um, hopefully you have some kind of magic jack or long-distance plan, and uh, you can call in at your own expense for the time being, and it uh, be a pleasure to have you. If you're listening to the Archive program, thank you so much. And again, thank you uh, for spreading the word about the program. We are at 2,500 listens in just a few months. Uh, I'm, I'm just so pleased to see so much interest in this area and this topic, and uh, hope to be spreading it further. So back to the topic for today. What do we mean by flow, and what do we mean by the power of presence and connection? Uh, several years ago now, <clears throat> I don't actually have the, the exact date in front of me, but um, Eckhart Tolle, who's from Vancouver, uh, or was living in Vancouver, um, wrote a, a, a groundbreaking book that really resonated with a, a great number of people across the, the planet called The Power of Now. And really what Eckhart was uh, bringing into focus and to awareness for um, a, a broad number of people are very long-standing and uh, well-established practices and concepts and, and teachings from of mindfulness from different con contemplative traditions, different wisdom traditions. Predominantly, I would say, you know, mindfulness awareness practice from uh, Buddhism, but also Confucianism, Taoism, um, the contemplative traditions of 
um, some of the Christian and, and uh, Sufism. And uh, really that's what the great spiritual teachers do is that they, they are able to bring a lot of these wide-ranging universal truths in a way that is accessible and meaningful and easy to, to relate to. And I'm hoping that's what I'm doing with this program. And in that in that book, Eckhart is addressing the uh, his own personal story of overcoming um, quite crippling depression and his existential or spiritual crisis. And you know, coming back to these universal truths and teachings, um, there is a great relief. There's a great comfort and um, liberation. Really, is the best word in in connecting to the experience of being in the present. And what do we mean by that? Well, we bring everything back to a very universal concept and one that science now helps us understand a little bit better through uh, quantum mechanics, and that is our understanding of the universe as being made up of fixed particles, solid matter, has now um, really been... Um, I wouldn't say discredited, but in a way it has. I mean, it's it's been we're evolving our understanding or our attempts to understand, or, or at least our story or or our insight into what the universe might be is that it is made up of energy and um, densely packed energy, absolutely. But the idea that anything is fixed or solid is really doesn't really hold up when you when you do the math. When you and that's what the quantum physics really is, is that they are uh, mathematical formulas and calculations um, that show what the property of space and time, and, and it, particularly in small matter, is really only about um, the probability of something occurring. And the minute you start to observe something, it, it, it can now have a different property. And this is the fascinating thing about this is the, is the principle of non-locality, and that is that um, even particles that are now quite widely separated, that were once together, a pair of electrons, for example, or photons, will spin in the same direction. If you take action on one, the other will um, will also take action. So we have a universe that is interconnected. And we have a universe that is um, uh, operates in, in harmony and cohesion with itself and has a self-organizing inherent principles. So these are not esoteric um, uh, metaphysical considerations that we're talking about here. This is really at the core of our insight into what the nature of, of uh, existence is. And observe, all we can do is really observe phenomena. So looking at it from that point of view, um, we can look at our own experience in, in our daily lives and, and really re-examine uh, what it means to feel an emotion, what it means to perceive reality from an internal emotional cue or a cue from something external, something someone has said or a circumstance that's happening in life, and how we conceptualize that, how we structure that into a meaning and identity, and, and that's what we need to do. I mean, we are creatures of, of uh, social meaning and psychology, and we have to function in the world. But we really do operate from that still very basic notion of uh, the world is. And I love this teaching for, uh, that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So we're having a very subjective 
phenomenological experience. But how do we know what reality really is? It's only what we are seeing or projecting through our five senses and through our the narrative that we're carrying, a story of the collection of experiences we've had and what we amalgamate them into. So the idea of flow is really to recognize that the universe is, is operating on a vibration. At any given time, the attraction of particles, the attraction of, a, of, of the density of particles of living things um, are all operating in, in concert with one another based on vibration or, co or coherence, to use a physics term. And so uh, I've told this story before, for example, that uh, the, the, the concept of sympathetic vibration and that uh, I was working in a music store many, many years ago and the uh, band manager, uh, the, the band department manager came down with a, with a tenor saxophone and blew a concert pitch A note, which is what uh, guitars are normally tuned to. And the vibration from that whole tone from the saxophone resonated the same tone in the guitars. There was a, probably 100 acoustic guitars hanging on the wall and they all started to vibrate. So this is like the opera singer who can sing at a very, very high, say, for example, a very high C note and uh, a couple octaves up and shatter a, a glass, a wine glass, because it collapses the uh, tensile structure of the glass, which is just uh, structured at a, uh, you know, very delicately in a lot of ways. It has a strong tensile strength. But the vibration is such that it disrupts that structure from that, that pitch of that note, the opera singer singing and projecting that note. So this is a fantastic thing. I mean, we have this incredible power, and it's not uh, based on uh, telekinesis or psychokinesis or any paranormal phenomenon. I mean, it's just that's simply sound waves traveling through the air and disrupting the, uh, the structure of an object. So if that's possible, what's occurring with our thoughts? What's occurring with our emotions? What's occurring with our intentions with other, with other people and our relationship to uh, things in our lives? So when we are in flow, getting back to the Chick Mahaley uh, um, understanding of flow or inquiry into flow, he's, Mikhail Chick Mahaley is the uh, psychologist who's, who's done a lot of research into this area. When you are in flow, you're not... You're not uh, thinking or observing or preoccupied with any other consideration except being completely immersed in what you're doing. And you'll see this with great athletes who, who you know, the top athletes are competing at a level, let's say world-class tennis or, you know, um, like anyone who's operating at a master's level of performance. That the degree of separation between those Competitors is so small. In fact, some, if you look at competitive uh, athletics like swimming or running, you know the, the level of competition at at the Olympics or amateur events where people are uh, competing in heats or races is down to like a hundredth of a second. I mean, that's a phenomenal uh, uh, micro variation in in performance ability. And so what? allows, what enables one athlete to create that extra hundredth of a second. And you can look at certain physical characteristics. Okay, you know, there's Michael Phelps was, you know, um, criticized for wearing a streamlined bodysuit that gave him, a, you know, extra, um, you know, uh, ability in the water to cut through the water more 
with less drag and resistance. Oh, sure, there are absolutely some physical physics characteristics there. But what we know is from sports psychology is that you're maximizing your performance because you are completely focused on what you're doing. There is no, you've removed hesitation. And, and one of the analogies I use uh, in teaching Aikido, for example, is because people think it's some kind of uh, extraordinary skill or supernatural power that they don't have, and everybody has that power within them. And um, the example I use is, the, is we all have heard stories, or maybe we've even have seen this or experienced it ourselves, where um, somebody is in an emergency situation, uh, you know, a child is trapped somewhere under a car or under a heavy object and, you know, or there's a fire and somebody goes and lifts a gigantic beam or girder or um, or even a car bumper to um, rescue a person. Now, did someone wave a wand and suddenly make that person stronger than they've ever been before? Well, no. But in a matter of speaking, they are able to exert more power and more strength. But it's not because they were suddenly turned into the Incredible Hulk and they physiologically changed. But the coherence, the absolute unification of their mind and body in that moment without any hesitation is able to maximize their ability in that moment in a way that surpasses their wildest expectation of what they might be able to do because they're motivated. And without sounding uh, dramatic about it, in those circumstances, the person is motivated by what... I believe, and many people have taught, is the most powerful force in the universe, and that is love. The instinct to survive and to protect is unbounded, and it activates that impulse, and that impulse can make us do things that we thought we would never be capable of. And certainly this is why we, why relationships can endure, because we all trigger each other, and it's difficult to live with someone and get along with someone in a long-term relationship. But again, love is a very powerful force. Here's another story about flow in a very real setting so people can understand this is not some um, esoteric you know, conversation and um, it's practical. And again, the story about Aikido and the founder of Aikido, um, 1925, before he really conceptualized what Aikido really represented as a spiritual discipline uh, and, and a path of, of peacefulness, and um, so he was, you know, back in that time, they were still on the edge of the dissolution of the samurai class. And, and um, shortly after the war, in fact, World War II, the, um, the fighting arts were banned in Japan. But prior to that, they were you know, still on the tail end of that epoch of, of uh, the, uh, the feudal warfare in Japan and all of its antecedents and, uh, and all of its legacy. And so there was still a very martial kind of approach to these arts, and people would test your metal, you know, and see what you were made of. And there was a uh, kendo, a fencing teacher, a Japanese uh, sword. You've probably seen photos or, of, uh, you know, the, the Japanese look like they were actually in samurai uh, protective armor with a screen over their face. And uh, but two-handed with the shinai, which is the bamboo sword, and they're screaming and running at each other and attacking. So this was a naval, a very high-ranking naval officer who was either, you know, um, challenging the 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 
efficacy or veracity of, of uh, Morhei Ueshiba's uh, newly formed art and its origins and uh, its legitimacy, or that they, I believe that there was some kind of personal honor dispute between them or something. Anyway, so this, this officer decided he wanted to uh, test uh, the founder of Aikido. And so he challenged him to... Uh, to duel with him with the wooden sword, the Boken. And O-sensei uh, opted to have no weapon. And so this officer, who is very skilled and uh, probably quite a fearsome practitioner, um, cut and thrusted and um, entered in and, and made every possible attack formation he could against this very diminutive little person since it was like four foot ten or under five feet and he uh, would just move effortlessly to avoid the strikes and if you've ever done anything like that that has a very sort of burst quality to it even even crossfit training when you do high intensity training and believe me when you're attacking someone like that and you're you've got the intensity of life or death, as calm as you might be and as disciplined as you might be in your movement, it's so exhausting to exert that kind of energy in a short burst intensity. And so this officer was thrusting and striking and, and cutting, and O-sensei was just moving. Every every blow, every cut, every thrust, he would anticipate and, and evade. And the officer literally exhausted himself and, and collapsed. And just said, I, you know, I, there's absolutely no way I can get to you. And Ueshiba was able to um, effortlessly really avoid being struck by this highly skilled swordsman uh, simply by um, being in the moment, being absolutely tuned in to what was happening and not having any doubt or fear or interfere with his concentration. And afterwards, he went to uh, get some... Uh, water from the well in his garden on the grounds of the dojo and this is when he had this famous epiphany about Aikido and he just had this realization that um, how much power was in that ability to be fully present without fear without any intention of, of harm I mean he never laid a finger on this fellow never counter-striked or counter-struck him um, never had any intention of trying to hurt him or, or, or shame him or prove a point he simply just uh, moved out of the way. He wasn't there when the fellow came to attack. And um, the story is actually that he said he could he could see uh, a stream of of light of the sword cutting seconds before or microseconds before it actually moved. So he was actually following the movement based on the intention. You know, you send your intention and it goes before you actually move. And so he read the, the movement of, this, of, this, uh, of the sword before it actually physically moved in space. And you can call this, you know, just a very intense pre-perception and focus and concentration. It's, it's sort of like the, the matrix, the bullet time. You slow time down. And this is a fascinating thing. There's some other research that's come out that says that um, when we have an experience of awe, standing and looking at an incredible scenery or vista, sunrise, uh, it, it expands our minds. 
and time slows down. The experience of time and our perception of where we are slows down because we are so enraptured, we are so immersed, we are so uh, present and connected. Now, what if we were able to do that all the time? Now, we're certainly not worried about walking through streets and getting attacked by swords, hopefully, not most of us. Uh, we don't live in that kind of society, you know, where that's 24-7 the way we live. Uh, but there are swords coming at us in all directions in many different ways. And predominantly, they're coming at us from our own minds, that we are uh, feeling the attack of our own thoughts and emotions or, you know, some, sometimes the attack of other people. Um, and, and it affects us. And so what if we were able to move through life operating from the same calm unification of mind and body? What would that do for our abilities to perform in, in any task? And um, certainly, you know, if you're a creative person, um, the more relaxed you are, the more things flow. The more you enjoy yourself, and when you enjoy yourself, you perform better because it becomes effortless. Now, on a um, psychological note, I'll tell you something very personal. Yesterday I was uh, feeling challenged by something, and um, without doubt, fear and doubt itself only occur in the context of thinking of the past or the future. So fear is the, is, the, is the attachment to the thought of something that happened before and maybe it's going to happen again. And this is a biological response. You know, your, your uh, limbic system, your fight or flight center of your brain is prompted by a stimulus and says, this could be a problem, right? But the idea is to, to override that knee-jerk reaction and really be calm enough to really read the situation, only do what is minimally necessary, if anything at all. So we can think, oh, this reminds me of something I've been through and get all caught up in a narrative, a story about that. It could be about our upbringing. It could be about a past um, difficult challenge we've been through, uh, a trauma we've been through. And I, and I do trauma work in my private therapy practice. So, um, Or you take that thought and then you project it into the future. What if this happens? What if this happens? And we can't live our lives that way. I live in Vancouver, Canada, and... We've been told in the next 50 years we're very overdue for a major earthquake. Now, you can't live your life every second of every day anticipating an earthquake. You wouldn't be able to function. And, you know, all you can do is prepare and then let go. And that's life. That's really, you know, what I'm getting into today's program is the letting go aspect. You're present with whatever is and then you let go. Because all that, all that you can ever engage with is whatever it is with, with what's right in front of you. And when you are engaged with what's happening right in front of you, something else happens right after it. So fear can't actually operate because you're connected to, again, that quantum physics level of whatever you think just happened has passed already. I'll very quickly tell you a story about being on an airplane. And a woman sat next to me very, very, very terrified of flying. She says, I'm really sorry. I've been flown 19 years. Her husband was next to her, and she was literally white-knuckled grabbing the, the armrest. And, uh, and I said, oh, well, you know, um, I'm sure it will be an okay flight, and just, you know, just try and relax. And she said, oh, God, I would just love to be able to go to sleep. My husband just falls asleep. 
And I said, well, what do you think if I told you I would have you asleep in 15 minutes? And she said, it's not in your life. I'm so terrified right now. So we started to taxi and then, uh, you know, take off and we're climbing. And I just started talking to her, you know, distracted her a little bit. So, okay, there's that. Uh, and But I just engaged her and kept her in the in the present moment of conversing with me. And then every once in a while I'd say, are you okay? And she'd be like, well, yeah, because we were okay. The plane was just taking off and it was a bit of fear, but nothing actually had bad had happened except her fear. So I kept distracting her from her fear. And then another minute later after chatting, I would say, you know, don't worry, we're okay, you know, and, and are you all right? And she was, well, yeah. And a couple more times of doing this, she started to laugh because it became ridiculous because every minute or two I was saying, still okay? Are you still all right? Are you still here? And her mind couldn't make up anything about it because the reality is that she was okay. She was just getting caught up in her fear, the fear of the fear. And as we started to ascend and reached our cruising altitude, her head flopped over on her husband's shoulder and she fell asleep. She just stayed in the moment. I kept her in the moment. And in this moment, you're okay. And the next moment, you're okay. We can turn that moment into a lifetime of our narrative about ourselves and our fears and and uh, project all in every direction, you know, all of the things that we've been through or anticipating might happen. But when you're in that moment, all that exists is that moment, and then it passes. So coming back to my story about yesterday and being challenged by a situation I sat down and did a very, very simple meditation. I'm going to offer this to you today. You sat in a comfortable position in a chair. So you want to be about 90 degrees, feet flat on the floor. Your legs 90 degrees out from you. Your upper back 90 degrees. Your arms 90 degrees parallel with your legs, resting on your thighs. And I put my hand on my chest, on my heart, my right hand. And you can also put your left hand over your your belly, what we call you know your the area of your one point, your center, or your tenden or your hara in Japanese. And it's very comforting, but also you're connecting to that those chakras. You're connecting to your heart, so there's a physical kind of anchor there. And as I uh, just focused on my breathing, every time my mind started to drift, I said these two words. Here, now. And I followed my breathing. And the emotion would come up and I would be thinking about situations and I'd be thinking about what is this and what does this mean and analyzing and over overdoing as we do. In psychology, we call it ruminating, the ruminating pause. You're like an animal in a cage, pacing, 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 pacing in a very small space in your mind. And as that happened, my hand on my heart, I said, here. Now, after only 10 minutes, all the anxiety has subsided. It's such a powerful, powerful medicine. So I offer you to that, that to you today. You don't even have to sit and meditate. But just in a moment of anxiety or overthinking situations or anticipating something happening, just say to yourself gently, here, now because in this moment you're okay now of course if there is a major problem the more that you can be here and now with it the more calmly and the more assertively you're going to deal with it 
So I'm not suggesting life isn't with those challenges. But if someone has a heart attack in front of you or you're in an accident, the last thing you want to do is panic because then you lose control and you start to um, have again, very knee-jerk responses. So even more so, going back to the story of the, the sword duel, here, now. And if you die and if you're about to die in this moment, there's nothing you can do about it. But the calmer you are, the more present you are, the better chance you have, the best chance you have of getting through it with the least amount of harm to yourself or to, or to anybody else. Well, as always, program has program has flown by today. It's been my pleasure to uh, be with you here today. I hope you've enjoyed this program. I am presuming that most of you are probably tuning into the archive show, and uh, I hope it's been a benefit to you and that you enjoy the flow of your day. Remember that as things unfold in your day today or the evening if you're listening to this, that everything's unfolding just the way it is, is the way it should. It's all leading you to the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. And bring yourself back into the awe and the simplicity and the power of just being present and letting go. I'm Michael Gordon. Thanks so much for listening. Be well and see you next time on The Mind Whisperer. Right in.